Well, hey, good morning to everybody. My name is Jamie Trussell. I have the privilege of serving as lead pastor at Hill Country Central, and we're thrilled to be here uh, to be a part of what's going on in Midtown Church. And uh, just from me to you, before we get to the text, and if you want to go ahead and flip to First uh, Peter, that's where we'll be for a few moments. But hey, just from from myself to y'all's church, y'all have a wonderful pastor. So just kind of my way of endorsing him and y'all's ministry and and the work. I know him and Adam are engaged in prayerfully and committedly. He's been a wonderful friend to me, uh, and I've grown to love him and his family dearly. So just want to exhort him in front of y'all. First Peter chapter 1, 10 through 12. These are the very words of God. And and, and here's how it reads in, in Peter's first epistle. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring as to what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that they have now, or things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. It depends what service you use or what website you want to go to, but uh, there were roughly uh, about 150 million births last year. 150 million. It's a lot. Uh, We didn't celebrate all of those. Most of them came and went uh, without our acknowledgement or without our knowing, and so we celebrate births uh, for a couple reasons. One, if they're approximated as meaningful to us personally, so they're our own child or someone close to us, or the significance in which a birth holds in grandeur for all of humanity. Okay, so we gather every year, year by year by year, to celebrate one singular birth, and that should strike us as odd. Uh, but more than that, as significant. So why? Why this birth? Well, well, Peter begins to unlock some of that here. Look at it, at it with me. Verse, verse 10, concerning this salvation. So everything that follows relates to this salvation. What specifically? The work that Christ came to do. The work that he accomplished. And here's what Peter unpacks about that salvation. He says, the prophets of the Old Testament, this is what they predicted. This was what their their prophecy centered around, was the coming of Christ. So it's got to be significant that all the Old Testament scriptures pointed towards it. But then, then Peter says this, but not only was it what they predicted, it's what actually has come to you in experiential reality. So Peter is writing this letter and wanting the recipients to know this. The Christ that you've encountered through the preaching of the gospel, through the good news, is the same Christ that the entire Old Testament said was coming. So it's been predicted for thousands upon thousands of years, and it's come home to them. They don't have to wait any longer. And then the third thing that Peter says in verse 12, which we're going to focus on, says about this salvation, he says, and it's a very odd phrase, things into which angels long to look. And the idea there behind long in the original language is to stoop over uh, with intentionality, to bend and to peer deeply into. So here's what he's saying. He's saying the angels 
who reflect the glory and majesty of God. The angels who are forever and always in the very presence of God himself. With all of that going on, with all the praise of all the greatness of God, that even amidst that entire environment, they still long to bend over and look into something. And the only thing that Scripture said they long to peer into is this work of God. It is God himself coming to earth, redeeming those that had rebelled and fled from him, those who could never earn it, that God would come and rescue mankind. And it says angels love to see that so much. It's so beautiful and it's so grand. So here's what I want you to think and reflect upon as we're about to sing this next song, is the glory and majesty that Jesus must be if the beings that are always in the presence of God still have on their mind the incredible work that Christ accomplished for humanity. So in response to that, in response to things into which angels long to look, we're going to sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and I want you to think about the fact that these angelic beings are praising and proclaiming the glory of Jesus. Let's pray or sing. Hey, this is fun. All right, so the promise in Isaiah 7 is that the virgin shall come, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. We just sang about that. God with us. That's what the name Emmanuel means, the name that was given to Jesus, God with us. As we just sang, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, held the incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. God with us. That idea should take our breath away. God with us. I think it should take our breath away because of that last word, the word us. I mean, just, just think about us for a minute. Genesis one twenty seven tells us that God created us to bear his image. The verse says this, so God created man in his own image. and the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. That he created us to basically be little mirrors running around earth, giving each other and all creation a glimpse of what God, the holy creator, is like. That we were to bear his image, that we were to give each other a picture of, a physical picture of a, an invisible spirit, holy God. That's what he created us to do. However, what happened to us? Well, from the very beginning, we're told that we believe God couldn't be trusted. That we believe that God was holding back from us. And so, as Isaiah 53, 6 says, we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone 
to his own way. So we turned away from God. We went, we went astray because we, we, we believed that God was not for us, but we believed that God was keeping something from us. And so we thought freedom and joy, all the things that our heart's desire was found outside of God, on the other side of God. So we, we went astray. We, we turned away from God, that God created us to bear his image, but instead we, we turned away from him. God created to be with us, and yet we turned away from God. And what turning away from God, what did that get us? Did it get us the freedom that our hearts were longing for? No, absolutely not, did it? That what it got us was uh, captivity, got us enslaved, that uh, just like every time Israel turned away from God, you Think about the Old Testament and Israel turning away from God to worship other idols or to conform to the other nations. That that didn't lead to their blessing and their freedom and their prosperity, but it always led to exile, always led to captivity, didn't it? That they thought that freedom was found outside of doing things that God had said to do, so they turned away from God because they didn't trust God. And we do the same thing over and over and over again, don't we? And we think that we can find life and find freedom outside of God. So we also turn away from God, not trusting God. That, guys, that's what's happened to us. And what has that led to? What's the state of us? Well, the state of us now is that we are captives, the Bible says. We are enslaved to sin. I think Paul puts it best in Romans 7. He really nails down what's true of all of us when he says this in verse 15 of chapter 7. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil I do not want to do, and this I keep on doing. Now if I do not, or if, now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. And Paul's talking about how sin has this power on us. This, it, it, it can enslave us to the point that we don't even do the good that we want to do. I think if you think about your own experience, if you're just honest with yourself, you know that's true. That's true of all of us. See, friend, friends, turning away from God did not lead to freedom it, it led to being enslaved, to captivity. Think about me, my own story. Like just this past week is proof of this. Like the good that I want to do is I want to love my family well. There's no one on earth that I love more than my wife, Krista, and my three kids, Camp, Enoch, and Della. And so I long to love them with a perfect love. And yet this past week, just this week, on multiple occasions, I was very dismissive of my kids, caught up in myself, that multiple occasions I was rude to my wife and easily angered. What's wrong with me? Like the good I long to do, I do not do. Instead, I do what I hate to do. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with us? See, and that's the state of us. We're enslaved to sin, captive to it. And guys, friends, 
That's why God with us, Emmanuel, should take her breath away. Because God should have nothing, God should have nothing to do with us. There's nothing that we like could in ourselves cause God to want to be with us. Like he, he shouldn't pursue us given who we are. But if he was to come to us, then it would make sense that he would come to us being a demanding God to get our act together so that we could serve him like we should serve him because he's God and we're not God. But that's not what God did, is it? The God with us came to us to ransom us. The God, as Jesus said in Mark, did not, the Son of God did not come to earth to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The God came to us to serve us, to ransom us, to buy us back out of the captivity that we were in, to free us from the power and the penalty of sin. Guys, again, this should take our breath away. We're told the way that he did this in 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 14 is this, that when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ, that he forgave us all our sins having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken, he's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. See, Jesus came to be with us in order to ransom us, to pay the debt that, he, that had to be paid in order to secure our release from sin's power and penalty. That, guys, that, my friends, is the why behind Christmas. And it's amazing because God came to us. God with us. The song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, is a petition for God to come and for God to ransom those in captivity, those in exile. And it, guys, hear this. By the incredible grace of our awesome God, it is a petition, it is a plea that has been answered. See, God has come. That Jesus, Emmanuel God, has come to be with us, to ransom us, to free us from exile. And so, friends, let's stand up and let's rejoice. Rejoice, for Emmanuel has come. chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 8 through 12. Now, Jake just kind of took us through 
uh, the why, right? Why? Why did this have to happen? Why did Christ have to come? And, and we're about to take a four-verse look a little bit deeper into who, the, the who of this person of Jesus. So Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 12, these are the very words of God. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you that you'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. It's Luke 2, 8 through 12. Three words of God. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you're like me, and I hope you're not, but if you are, when I think about God coming to earth, it's not like this. In fact, when I think about God coming to earth, the first people to show up to praise and glory in me aren't going to be shepherds either. So to be a shepherd during this time was kind of be the, the low end of the working class, that you were always unclean, always dirty. You're not making much money, which incidentally, that's what makes the grandeur of King David so spectacular in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel 7 when God says, you were a shepherd and I made you a king overnight. It's what God does. He does the impossible transformation. So here you have the God of the universe incarnated, taking on flesh in the person of Jesus. And he doesn't show up as Caesar in Rome, and he doesn't show up in great clothes with with jewelry and with wealth shining off of him, praised by thousands and thousands of people. He comes as an infant, wrapped in rags, praised by shepherds. Can it? Now that should blow our minds. Because if I'm coming and I'm God, I'm telling you right now, at the very least, I got a Range Rover. At the very least. And I'm driving down 6th Street, and I've got all the speakers blaring, come worship me, I'm God. Now, the last time I taught this passage, I had to use my sister's kids as an illustration. That has now changed. My wife and I have an eight-month-year-old boy, James. He's terrorizing the children's ministry right now. Uh, and, and this is actually the longest stint he's ever allowed to go unemployed again. Uh, so, so here's what I learned. Here's what I learned when we switched him from um, j- just feeding bottles to, to baby food is that his waist turned radioactive. All right? I mean, I remember the first time I changed a diaper upon that switch, I was dry heaving. I was not made for this. And it was, it was spectacular. I was proud of him, but I was disappointed at the same time. <laughs> but you know what I learned in that moment? When we think about Jesus, most of us, we think 30-year-old, grown man, doing miracles in ministry. But that's not how he came. He was born an infant in rags. Hear me on this who had to have his diapers changed. God of the universe, king of kings, in a stable wrapped in rags, having diapers changed. That is the unfathomable humility of our God. 
That is our God doing exactly everything it was going to take to rescue those he loved the most. Right, so when we think about Jesus, I, I want us to think a little more holistically. Put 30-year-old grown Jesus out of your mind just for a moment. Think about the infant. Think, think about a God that loved us so much that he left behind the comforts of heaven and was willing to have his diapers changed because he had to be like us in every way yet without sin. That's why when we celebrate the birth, We've got to think about that birth and everything that it entails and the beautiful majesty and humility of our God. And hear me, how can we then be prideful? How can we then demand things that God himself has never demanded? So let's sing, what child is this? And think about it. God from heaven to earth willing to have his diapers changed that he'd rescue us. Let's sing. Given what we've talked about so far, the question, as we, this last portion of the service goes, is how do we respond to this? When you think about it in Luke 2, Jamie just began to read, you, you, you see in the first time that the, the gospel message, the, the Christmas message was ever proclaimed post the act of Jesus actually being born. And so in that, when it's proclaimed to these shepherds, you get the sense to see how the first group of people responded to this message, the very first time. And if you read this, you'll just notice there's three ways that they respond. So let me read it for you, picking up in Luke chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 15. It says, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, "Uh, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. So first way, how did they respond? Well, they believed what they'd been told by God about Jesus, and they went to Jesus. That seems like a good way to respond. Next thing that goes, pick up in verse 17 says, When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed in what the shepherds said to them. So second way, how did they respond? They started telling everybody about what, what had taken place. They started telling everybody about Jesus. And then verse 20 says, The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So final way, how did they respond? They praised and glorified God. Okay, so they believed and they went to Jesus. They told everybody about Jesus, and then they praised and glorified God. I think, of course they did. I mean, right? I mean, if you're one of those shepherds, and like you're just ch- hanging out, watching some sheep, and then a, the angel of the Lord appears and tells you that the Messiah was born not too far from here, and that then the whole sky lights up with angels, and they're like praising God. 
you're not going to just turn to each other once they all disappear and say, well, that was weird. <laughs> Don't see that every night and just go back to watch a sheep. No, I mean, of course you're going to go check it out, right? I mean, you're running over to the manger. You're going to see, like, is there really a baby and all this stuff? And then you're going to go tell everybody. You can tell everybody, right? And then you're going to praise God. I mean, of course, of course, that's how they responded. But guys, is that how we respond to this message? I mean, think about it. The message is as true for us today as it was for them at that time. The message is just as life-changing, life-altering for us today as it was for them at that time. That the good news is as good of news for us now as it was for them at that time. But do we respond the same way today? Rarely we do. Why is that? I think one of the dangers of celebrating Christmas every year, and don't get me wrong, I'm all for celebrating Christmas every year. I love this time of year. But the danger of celebrating Christmas every year is that we can become inoculated to the power and the meaning and the wonder of Christmas, of this message, can't we? Because even the greatest message of all time begins to fall on deaf ears eventually when you've heard it over and over and over again. And there's something about this pride that, that is summed up in the, in the statement, yeah, I know, that causes us to lose the wonder of Christmas. When you think, okay, yeah, yeah, I, I get it. And Jesus came. Where's my presence? <laughs> you know? past week, um, something happened that kind of God used to uh, break through some of that pride in me, restore some of the, uh, my amazement on, about Christmas. Um, this past uh, Thursday, um, I buried my niece. And uh, many at Midtown know this story, uh, but Annabelle uh, is my, my sister's uh, firstborn child, uh, she passed away on Monday. Annabelle, uh, she's three months old. She's born with um, many uh, ge- genetic abnormalities that result in her being blind and deaf and mentally disabled, physically disabled, unable to fully breathe on her own. And uh, after three long months of fighting, she was a fighter, but she passed on Monday. Funeral was on Thursday. She can imagine it's been a very sad uh, week for us. Oh. On Wednesday night, my family gathered at my parents' house. A lot of extended family over there. My brother Ben and Jennifer were over there, and I was there. Krista was not. Annabelle was six. She had stayed home, but we had a lot of family over there at my parents' house, and of course, my sister Kaylee and her husband Sebastian were there. It's the day before the funeral, and we're just trying to have dinner together and be there for one another, and at one point, the conversation turns, and my, my mom just says, I'm just, I'm just so sad that this happened so near Christmas. But then my mom continued, and she said, but at the same time, I'm so thankful. Because the message, as she said, that's on the forefront of all of our minds during this time of year is that, that the Father loved us so much that he sent his son, born as a baby, to come and die that we may live. And to that, my sister just burst into tears. And she says, I know, I know. I've been thinking about that so much. 
makes me so much peace to know that because Jesus would come and die, I know my Annabelle is alive with him in heaven today. Friends, this is what we're celebrating. God, come to us, for us, to rescue us in order for us to be able to live with him forever because he died in our place. This is incredible. It's incredible. I think about what Jesus said to Martha the day that he shows up and Martha's brother has died, Lazarus, and Martha runs up to Jesus. They have this exchange. Martha, uh, Jesus, and in it, Jesus says this, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asks, do you believe this? And Martha responds. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has what? Who has come into the world. What we're celebrating on Thursday of this week, Christmas Day, one week removed from Annabelle's burial, Jesus comes into the world. We celebrate this, and in it we know that you live even if you die because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, the Savior who has come into the world. This is awesome. And my question to you is Jesus' question to Martha is, is will we respond like the shepherds did? When we hear this, will we believe? This is the appropriate response. Will we believe it? And will we let this belief drive us to Jesus? And if you've yet to ever put your faith in Christ, to believe that this is what Jesus has done for you today, believe it. Believe it. This is the appropriate response. Believe it. And if you do, you promise that you will live even if you die. You are promised that you will, trans, you will pass from death to life right here on the spot. It's incredible. But friends, if you have already believed this, please do not shrug it off with an I know as if this is not a big deal. This is the biggest deal. And so I ask you, even right now, would you, would you take the minute and just say, yeah, to inside, just say, you know what? I believe this. I believe that this happened and let this belief drive you closer to Jesus. Let it move you to him, that you would trust him more, that you would obey him more, that you would respond to his love for you by loving him more. That's appropriate response. And if you do that, if you believe it, friends, then the other appropriate response is what you see with the shepherds, that you believe it, that you tell people, if you believe this, you'll tell people. You just will. You can't help yourself. It's the best news in the world. It's great news. It's good news that brings great joy for all the people. We'll tell people. I mean, I think about the shepherds. People had to think they're crazy. I mean, what are they running up to their family and their friends and just saying, you'll never believe what happened tonight. Angels. Messiah. He's a baby, which no one was expecting that. Yeah, in a barn. We saw him. We just know he's Jesus. He's, he's the Messiah. And like people got to think that they're crazy. But who? they didn't care if people thought that they were crazy. They just knew it was true. And because it was true, it's the greatest news of all time. How do they keep that to themselves? But friends, we're so concerned all the time about what people will think about us.
Let's get our eyes off of ourselves. This is the greatest news of all time. If you believe it, you tell people about it. Who cares what they think about you? Let us not be so self-centered. Let us not be so unmoved. Let us not be so unloving that we wouldn't respond by telling our friends what Jesus has done. Telling your coworkers, telling your neighbors, telling your classmates. Friends, let me ask, who have you told this Christmas season? Have you told anyone? Who can you tell this week? Who can you tell? Who will you tell? Wednesday night, leave my parents' house, driving home. I've got my sons in the car, camping Enoch. And uh, camp asks, hey, Dad, is Annabelle in heaven? And I said, yeah, man, he is. Yeah, man, she is. And he says, does everyone get to go to heaven when they die, Dad? And I got to say, Camp, because of what Jesus did, everyone can go to heaven. They just believe that he died for them. He's made it, he's cleared the path for everyone because of his death. Simply believe it. And he was quiet for a minute, and then he said, Dad, you know that I believe that? I believe that Jesus died for my sins and he rose again. I said, son, I, I didn't know that you believed that because he'd never voiced that to me. So I don't know if I did the right thing, but I just started peppering him with questions. All right, so tell me, well, what is sin? And have you sinned? Tell me your latest sins. And he was able to rattle off a bunch. And Enoch was sitting there, and he was able to rattle off a lot of camp sins as well. And they kind of went on for that for a while. And then I started saying, okay, well, like, who's Jesus? And what did Jesus do? And why did he have to do it? And he, he got it. He understood. He knew the... He knew it. He understood it. By the time that we got home, I was convinced the guy, he, I think he's, he believes. We walk inside and he runs into Krista, his mom, and says, Mom, I believe Jesus is my Savior. And we gather together as a family and can't praise one of the sweetest prayers I've ever heard in my life. My son puts faith in Jesus on Wednesday night. And in doing so, He was adopted into the family of God and his internal destiny was changed. His eternal destiny was changed. Friends, this is the greatest news of all time. How do we keep this to ourselves? Let's tell people. It's the appropriate response to what Jesus has done. He has come into the world to die for us that we may find life in him, life eternal. Let us tell people. Who will you tell this week? And the final response. The final response that we see in the shepherds and what makes so much sense for us as well is that we would praise God, that we would glorify God for what he has done in sending his son. Joy to the world, right? Joy to the world for what? For the Lord has come. What that tells us, my friends, is that God loves us. Again, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he did what? He sent his son. Christmas morning declares that Jesus loves us, that God loves us, the Father loves us. It's the declaration. And he loves us, us. Remember us? We've talked about us. 
He loves us so much that while we were still sinners, God demonstrated his love for us in this, that he died for us. God loves us. How does that not move us to praise God, to glorify God, to sing joy to the world, joy to the world. The Lord, the Lord has come. Let's sing.